I'm Jamie. I'm Matt. I'm Pete. I'm Brad. I'm Phil. And, and this, this is, is Comics First. Hi, Internet. Thank you for listening to another Comics Verse podcast. I'm your host, Comics Verse managing editor, Ms. Jamie Rice, and I am joined by a group of fellow Comics Verse writers, editors, and all around amazing people to discuss another amazing comic. Today, we are going to discuss Brian K. Vaughn's and Fiona Staples' amazing image book, Saga. But before I introduce the panel, just a reminder that you can find us on comicsverse.com. We've also got a slew of podcasts on all kinds of comics, as well as original articles, reviews, interviews, and videos. We also just started branching out into covering topics that you and our audience are wanting to hear more about, putting our little comics first twi- analytical twist on it, and we call it the culture section. Please check it out. Now it is time to introduce the panel. I will begin with my fellow editor, as well as YouTuber extraordinaire, Pete. Hello, Pete. What's going on, everybody? Say your last name for me, Pete. Imbessi. Pete Imbessi. There you go. Nailed it. How are you, Pete? I'm doing good. How are you today, Jamie? I am lovely. This is also the first podcast that I have done in person with Pete and Matt. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Yes. It's a very, very special occasion. Pete, are you excited for Saga? Oh, yeah. Saga's one of my favorite books. I'm very excited to talk about it with you guys. How did you come to Saga? I actually got the first trade as a gift uh, from a friend of mine who, um, one of the guys who's on my YouTube channel, actually, Andy Brown, who knew I was a fan of Why the Last Man and got it for me as a Christmas gift. Very good friend. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Next, we have contributor and lover of lesbian BDSM comics, the one and only Matt Murphy. Matt, how are you? I'm doing very well today, Jamie. How are you? I mentioned that because Matt and I were on a Guilty Pleasure podcast together and we read Sunstone. Oh, it was hot. I was into it. No one else was. Except for Bob. Bob didn't like the boobs. Bob does not like boobs. Oh, wait. Bob didn't like those specific boobs. Bob likes boobs. He thought those boobs were impossible. I I like impossible boobs. What can I say? (laughs) Next, we have the amazing Phil Casey. Hi, Phil. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. I'm a longtime reader of Saga, <laughs> big time fan. So I'm a longtime caller, a longtime listener, first time caller. FYI, Phil had never read Saga before about an hour and a half ago. And he also agreed to be on the podcast last night. And I go, Phil, will you be on the podcast? He goes, never read it, but I'll do it. Yeah, I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Phil. Well, Phil told me he liked it, though. It was good. I liked it. You don't, um, you don't sound uh, genuine about that. <laughs> no, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I only read the first six issues because I only had an hour and a half or two hours to read it after waking up at 2 p.m. And uh, Phil's really initial... the biggest overachiever at Comics Verse. Nah, I'm just, I'm just a, I'm a bad boy. That's me. But uh... <laughs> a bad um... boy in Superman pajamas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm coming. Yeah, in it's worth noting that three, uh, three hours pajamas. later, still in his pajamas. <laughs> At some point, we have seen him spread eagle. I just want to point that out. <laughs> You're in living the sa- dream. In saga fashion. You can tell I'm an overachiever based off my pajamas. <laughs> Seem like an American hero, Phil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm the opposite of Captain America. <laughs> Don't bring him up. Hail Hydra. Too soon. Way too soon. But before we get into that, <laughs> that's going to be the tangential aspect of this podcast. Don't talk any. Don't talk about it, Pete. Just hold it in. Holding the Captain America feels. Oh, no. Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> like, people have to be like, how dare you assume I would say something? <laughs> no, I, I want to move on from that topic as, <laughs> as quickly as possible. The wounds are still fresh. And our last person today is brand new first day intern, Brad Sloan. Hello, everybody. Brad is also new to Saga. Very new. Just read it about an hour ago. First six issues as well. It was good, though. I did, I did enjoy it. A lot of oh, nudity. that sounds very a genuine. A lot, lot of nudity. <laughs> the perfect amount of nudity. Yeah, no, I'm not... Not hating on the nudity. I'm just saying it's there. It's present. And so before we start, I wanted to get a summary, but I didn't confirm that anyone was going to give the summary. Let's do it. All right. I'm going to do this right now. All right. Take us there, Matt. Paint a word picture for the kids at home. So you have a family. 
you have Alana and Marco. Marco has horns. Alana has wings. I'm not entirely sure what their races are called. Um, they're, they're generally referred to as, as the horns and the wings. But they're nations. I wrote it down. Their landfall is Elena's. That's the name of the planet. Yeah, that's so they're landfallian. And then there's also... Landfallians. Wreath. Wreath is the name of the Reith moon. Wreath is Marco. It's, it's pretty much the most... It's based on races. And they have a baby, which no one believes would happen because interspecies relationships. Am I right, guys? It's weird. So but, right. Uh, the story is told by Hazel's perspective and how they got to the point where she is now. We don't know how Who old is Hazel? She- Hazel is their daughter. Their daughter. She narrates the story. She's the narrator. Which is interesting. Something we'll talk about a little bit, hopefully. Yeah. And uh, from the beginning of their story, they have a bunch of freelance assassins from them. They have uh, a whole army after them. You have Prince Robot the Fourth, who is on the the wing side, hunting them. You have the Will, uh, my my favorite character. I love the Will. Mourning the loss of his ex and just going and doing really depressing stuff. Spoiler alert, they don't know that yet. I was like, that's oh. not necessarily... Uh, well, I need to. I needed to go there, guys. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you guys are gonna get this entire book spoiled for you. So. I needed to get oh, real. Spoiler alert! Uh, spoiler alert for this podcast. Yeah, we're going there. And then you have a bunch of characters along the way. You have Clara, uh, Marco's mother. You have Bar, his father. You have uh, Mr. Heist, who is the author. Uh, you have Goose, the cutest uh, goddamn little seal man. Oh, he's so. You cute. say Goose? 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 Yeah, that's how it's pronounced. Goose? Yeah, you can't. Yeah. Say- so I call him Gus. There's there's a a Gus. very very there's a vast cast of colorful characters. We'll put it that way. And there's the greatest planet of all time, uh, Sextillion. Uh, it's a huge prostitution planet. And you didn't can, you found that planet? I am the Lord Leader of Sextillion. That Matthew would move Murphy. there in a heartbeat. I would be there. Talking heads with just legs. It's my type. <laughs> I think um, one of the most interesting facts I'd like to bring up about Saga right away for anyone who's new to the book is that um, I think a big reason that we see such like a... In- <laughs> uh, the reason we see such a colorful cast of characters, I'm moving on, uh, is because the book is largely based off of a bunch of ideas that writer Brian K. Vaughn came up with, came up with when he was a child. So it's like a mixture of kind of a lot of very childish, um, not childish, but like Pete, fantasy This sounds intellectual of, and like knowledge. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were summarizing the book before we got to the last. Ouch. How Whatever. old was he when he came that's up with fine. these characters? Uh, he's a child. That's, like that's, Tim Burton, it's actually. Like, he's very like Tim Burton. Yeah. He's, it's, it's like generic like blanket. I was a little boy when Who I came up with a lot year of these ideas. so much about human anatomy? See, that's a good point. We'll talk about Brian K. Vaughan's sexual adventures uh, when we get him on the podcast. Wait, uh, I just want to point out that this was also, he started writing this book. He knew it was the right time to write it this book after his uh, him and his wife had their first child and yes. he really started to see the reaction of like what it was like to be a father and how it was like to be a part of a family and I think that's really interested in going in and looking at the first issue and going forward of like how and how the story has developed and grown as his fa- own family has developed and grown well said okay thank you so I think we should start talking about families and pregnancy okay so I think one of the most famous aspects of Saga is the stories about a couple fighting right after giving birth to a kid. Um, this is not the first time in a comic that someone's fought while they were pregnant or had just given birth to a child. I think about Spider-Woman recently was pregnant when she... <laughs> and I sound like a mocking pregnancy. 
Pregnancy is not a big deal. Jamie hates pregnant women. <laughs> Jamie Rice, anti-pregnancy. I don't even know if I want to be pregnant. I, I don't really believe in breeders. Childbirth. <laughs> but pregnancy is a pretty common trope, I feel like, for women in comics occasionally. Superhero women sometimes. And I feel like usually the connotation is like, these women shouldn't be fighting because they're kind of... While they're pregnant. While they're pregnant. Yeah. And even though Alana obviously gives birth in the first issue and continues to fight, she's still like, I mean, she still has like the physical signs of... Sure. Being pregnant. She also um, has like uh, fears of the effects it has on her body. Yeah. At points in the comic. I think um, before we get off that topic too, I think like there's a really good moment between her and um, Clara, who's Marco's mother, um, where she kind of gives Alana some grief for being like uh, a domestic goddess, as she calls it. And um, that definitely does kind of come up in the book because in the beginning, she is kind of very focused on being a mother and doesn't want to be a, a, com- a wa- doesn't want to be a warrior anymore. But that changes very quickly because mm-hmm. <laughs> she's kind of both of them are forced to fight. Yeah. Keep their family alive. See, I always thought it was interesting, too, that Marco's like always doesn't want to fight. Like that's his thing. And she's always asking him to fight. Yeah. And he like refuses. Well, I mean, he does occasionally. But I mean, I can understand when he does fight why he doesn't want to fight. It's so bloodthirsty, but I always think it's interesting that I feel like she's such a badass character. But like, I never felt like it was badass in that annoying pandering way. Because like, even when I read Spider Woman One, like that issue really annoyed me for a lot because she was like, I never wanted to be a mom, and I was like, it's really awkward for like this character to be pregnant in the modern day and like be like, I guess I'm stuck pregnant. And I'm like, well, if you really didn't want to be pregnant, like you probably would have gotten an abortion. Right. Not that you should have gotten an abortion. Like that's your choice. But like, it's very interesting for her to complain about it all the time. Yeah. And be pissed that she can't fight. Whereas it's not that she decided not to fight. She wants to. I don't know. Like, I never think, I don't necessarily think that pregnant people should fight, but I always think well, it's interesting. I think like motherhood was a conscious decision for Alana too, though, you know? Mm-hmm. Like her and Marco decided they wanted to bring a child into this world. But um, I don't think they really decided it. Remember that one scene? Where she says like, impregnate me. Yeah. It's a, it's a sex-fueled yeah. moment. That's We've true. all been there. Um, <laughs> Matt's been there. And it's one of those things where you just, she's worried about br- uh, bringing a child into this world where Marco is completely confident in their love that they'll be able to go forward with this where Alana's the one that's doubtful. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. But it's, it's from when we, obviously when we meet her is when um, when Hazel's born, but from when we see her as a mother, she seems very like committed to their family and to what, um, I guess to, not to nonviolence, but to um, their stance for... Uh, their new life together type yeah, thing. But yeah, but even like, you know, the the kind of symbology of the book from Heist is that like that, pacifism you know and it's like they're not exactly pacifists but they are trying to get away from war i think it's uh it's fascinating alana's character development from like the first arc to the third arc where when they're going against uh the stalk and she has the gun to the baby's head and she's like i'm i'd rather kill my baby than have someone else take them and it just be a like a prize of war and uh but compared to the third arc where marco's like i'm gonna I'd rather kill the child than be, have it taken away and we're all dead. And Alana's very defensive, like, oh, we can't kill, we can't hurt the child, we can't hurt the child. I think Alana has a lot of very serious character development and maturity in a very short amount of time. I think that's, yeah, that's a good observation. I think we see her kind of like dance with that too, though, because when we see them kind of settle down in the, what's that, was it the fourth arc? When she takes up her life as an actress, then she does kind of have a bit of a regression to her. Big regression. Yeah. <laughs> I hated that. It was really, I mean, not the sense that it didn't make sense. It was just hard. Yeah, to it, was, watch. it was hard to sit through. Yeah. Yeah, it was very much, uh, it felt very natural, though. It was the thing where when it was set up to us, I was like, like you said, very I emotionally reacted. I was very upset about the prospect of them being kind of like driven apart. But um, the way it was handled seemed very natural. 
Very true. I think it's also interesting that that first issue is like, like oh, we can talk about the um, the robot birth. Oh, my favorite scene in all the <laughs> saga. Oh yeah. Do we know what issue that is, or are we just going mm. in blind? All right. So I don't. Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's it's somewhere in the twenties, I think. All right. So at one point, Princess Robot gives birth to Princeling Robot, the wife of Prince Robot the, the fourth. fourth. And it really goes into a big thing of uh, Saga is one of those comics that uh, it opens and ends with the most shocking experience you can find, which is a very common Brian Cavon trope. He uses that in most of his comics. But the issue opens up with uh, him, uh, her giving birth, and you just see the TV screen coming out of her vagina. You see full butthole. <laughs> Sorry for the, uh, this is a not safe for work podcast right now. Yeah. Uh, but it's a little late for that warning, I think. Sorry, I think guys. we're past that. But it also seems. Hey, it's anatomically correct. It's, it's very true. We're seeing a birth. But uh, it's not the only. Alana and Marco and Hazel aren't the only family in this story. Whereas at the same time that Hazel's being born, Prince Robot's also. Prince Robot the Fourth is also bringing about a family in this world. But it's interesting to see his experience compared to theirs, whereas their two lovers drawn together from war, his whole life is falling apart from war and he can't relate to anyone around him and everything around him is falling apart. I think like that's one of the most compelling aspects of Saga too, is that often I think um, the book draws a lot of comparisons to Game of Thrones and I think um, kind of fairly, not necessarily in subject matter, but in terms that you follow these three di- very different factions, all of which kind of have skin in the game and you can root to all of them to a certain degree. You know, it's like, obviously, um, Prince Robot 4 could have only gotten a happy ending had he captured Marco and Alana and that would have been the death of our main characters. So it's, you know, we want to see all these characters get a happy ending, but that's simply impossible. I think that's what makes it so compelling in a lot of ways. And I also think there's a, it's not just those two families and pregnancy that's in the story. It's that uh, the Will, the character I mentioned earlier, is starting a family as well and it's yeah. not necessarily your conventional family. conventional family he brings in uh characters like gwendolyn marco's previous fiance he rescues a slave girl whose name is sophie from sextillion my favorite planet yeah he rescues her from sextillion and they they start to begin a family of their own and it's not necessarily a normalized family it's and it's interesting to see that in this world they're it's not, nothing's really normal, and it's a huge reflection is how advanced this universe is. It reflects our world very similarly as well. And it also shows that there, the best part of Saga is that family doesn't revolve around immediate family as well. We have uh, the grandparents of Marco. Yeah, and then, and then you have these other characters who are brought in, like Isabel, who is um, a ghost who binds herself to, to Hazel and kind of becomes her de facto babysitter in exchange for getting off of her planet where Hazel was born. Um, we have other characters like D. Oswald Heist, who's the writer we spoke about earlier, who kind of becomes like a... Almost a step-grandfather there for a minute before he gets offed, unfortunately. Real quick. Spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler alert. Sorry, guys. Um, he hasn't even met Phil and I know. Brad haven't even met that character yet. Hey, that's what you got for coming on a podcast only in the first six issues, buddy. I, I don't know, man. They're my givers. They're helping they're us. They're givers. <laughs> and we're just ruining the book for them. My favorite family character, though, is the Brand, who is the Will's sister. And she comes in around midway through the story so far. And she... Another she, character that our friends don't know. Another character that the friends don't know, and I won't spoil much about what's going on with her, but she she comes in as a lead real quick, and it shows that like family is really, really a huge part of this story. She 
and you see how much of an impact that it has. Like her real name is Sophie. The Will names slave girl whose name is Sophie after his sister. And we haven't really explored much about that. We haven't explored their relationship and I don't want to throw too many spoilers out there. I mean, okay, okay, she dies. She gets eaten by a dragon. Uh, But like, we haven't gotten to see it. Did right? We haven't seen the another character cut down to relationship scene. She was great. But uh, later on the comic in the recent arc, he's taking a comic called heroin, not a comic, a drug called heroin. Comics are Matt's drug. (laughs) Comics are drugs, though. And heroin is a drug where you see your first love. And they haunt you, basically. It's like a hallucination. And he sees the stalk until he sees the brand telling him, you need to get your life together. Like, I believe in you. And, like, it shows that, like, a family can be love, which is also a huge part of this story. Love. Yeah. Love and love making are major themes in Saga. Phil or Brad, do you have any two cents? Maybe three. Phil looks horrified right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just Never. had the whole book ruined for me. I may as well not read it. <laughs> there's now. there's a lot to process. Well, I think it's like one thing I was thinking about is, uh, as you know, I've only read the first six issues, but immediately in the first issue, the relationship of Alana and Marco are kind of juxtaposed with Prince Robot the Fourth and Princess Robots. For instance, you see that that page where. They're trying to conceive a kid, but Prince Robot the Fourth is having intimacy problems and. That is right after his two-year horrifying tour while he has these very complex interests with the father. Whilst you have Alana and Marco who are on the, on the land more or less trying to survive this, you know, Romeo and Juliet scenario. It's kind of this weird juxtaposition of, of how families work. And I think I, I like the way that's been explored, you know? Explored how? Well... You just see like how these you see what drives the characters' motives. For instance, throughout the first six issues, everything's been about keeping Haze, uh, Hazel alive because uh, there's been a lot of rushes with death. Whereas for Prince Robot the Fourth, his whole motive is just trying to get home to see his daughter or son. I, uh, I guess it's a daughter. You said, or it's a son. It's a son. Okay, because I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, his whole motive is trying to get back in time to see his kid be sired. And uh, one is fueled by trying to kill someone, and the other is fueled by survival. That's interesting. I have another thing, if no one else does. Go for it. I think one of the coolest things is uh, Alana in the beginning of the story. Marco says the thing, uh, we have a family to think about now. And you see at that point, Alana has a severe reaction to that. She's like, my father said that, and then he abused me and my mother... And I never want to see, hear that line again. And that line is repeated throughout every arc so far. We have a family to think about. And at, I think at the third or fourth arc, when she starts doing the drugs, that's when she starts accepting that line and starts being okay with it. And we start to see the lines of family, blurring the lines of what, what family means, as well as the cycles repeat. We see things happening over and over again and learning that as much as children want to avoid becoming what their parents are, eventually they become that. And it's kind of like no matter what kind of parents you have, like no matter their races, no matter their sexualities, like they're always repeating the same basic family patterns. Exactly. Yeah. And then I, I thought about how it's uh, when you have a kid like that, how your relationship grows and how it functions. For instance, there's that brush of death that Marco has when he's about to die. And he's one of his final words is he brings up Gwendolyn and she like freaks out because who the hell is Gwendolyn? And it's like this whole matter of keeping secrets. And when you have to make a relationship work, I mean, how far and to what ends do you go to make that relationship work? You know? 
So what I was saying is I really do think that as weird as it sounds in a, in a sci-fi comic, I think that the family aspect is one of the more realistic ones that I've read in any recent readings. Uh, maybe the Visions family, but other than that, like I do think that this is quite accurate in the in the character development of each of each member. I think when there, when it comes to good science fiction, it's important to have a grounding element to make people to welcome people into a fantastic setting, whether it's fantasy or science fiction. That's certainly true of the original Star Wars trilogy. You have Luke to really ground the audience, and obviously Saga gets a lot of comparisons with the original Star Wars trilogy. And I think having this really firm family element is what helps people feel welcomed into this new environment. Plus, there's no incest compared to the original Star Wars trilogy. Not yet, anyway. That's a hot take. Surprising there isn't, honestly. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. What is the main comparison to Star Wars, you feel like? Like, what is the connection point? Because I, I don't think the plot is similar to Star Wars at all. No, I don't either. And I, I said this before we were recording, actually. I think that, like, I think the reason it gets so many comparisons to Star Wars is because when you're judging a piece of science fiction, it, the laziest and easiest thing you can do is compare it to Star Wars in some way. It's like comparing anything that's in the fantasy genre to Lord of, to Lord of the Rings. It's like, that's the most, like, DNA kind of story you can think of. So the easy thing is to compare them. And I don't really think they have as much in common as as they're, as it's pointed out anyway, or as I, people like to make the connection. I think the thing with Star Wars is that uh, one of the main comparisons is it's about a family and it's in, in space, whereas Star Wars revolves around one singular family, the yeah. Skywalkers, whereas Saga, while Hazel is our, na- our, our narrator and we mostly focus on her family, there's a lot of family dynamics going around around that story. And we haven't reached the current point where we can say, all right, this is the story of Hazel's family. No, it's a story of multiple families. It's a story of multiple species and multiple races. This is a huge world with a lot of different issues. And it's completely unlike Star Wars and the fact that Star Wars Deville solely focuses on that family and a force, a spiritual godlike force that influences people to good and evil. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. <laughs> but uh, whereas Saga really focuses on war, and choices and consequences and family and sex and all of that. There's a lot of different themes at play, whereas Star Wars has a singular theme. Star Wars is also like a, a far more traditional like narrative. Like Luke has a traditional hero narrative, and even our two main characters, main characters, I say that with air quotes, uh, Marco and Alana are not simply traditional heroes. They're both a little bit well, more dynamic than that. I think, personally... When there's a comic book, you have more flexibility to explore more themes and more characters as opposed to either even a, a, a trilogy of films. But I think the comparison comes from the fact that really the story is about a small group of characters. I mean, I'm sure this expands later, but as far as comparisons go, who are ex- escaping a war, which is what the original Star Wars trilogy is about. The Rebel Alliance and the main characters there trying to escape from the Empire. In this case, you have... Basically, uh, the Capulets and the Montague anagram trying to escape from two sides warring across a galaxy. And the theme is like love conquers all kind of, you know. But I also think a, a difference in that, and if we're going back to the main point of this, which is pregnancy and family, whereas Star Wars doesn't really... Star Wars, every trilogy in Star Wars ends and begins with the beginning of a new family. Whereas uh, the prequels, Luke and Leia's birth, second series, which is four to six, the beginning of Han and Leia, 
we don't really know what's going on with Luke right now because the EU was disregarded. But the whole plot of Saga right now is dealing with children born in war and how they're growing and how they're developing within the war setting. This is a narrative grounded by war and how the actions of people in war will lead to children's development and how those children will develop in war and eventually solve the crises that have to do with war. Wow. I feel intelligent. I think for you the nailed first it. Time. You are intelligent. So it's about, you. so you're well saying said. it's about like a new character being born into a society that's in the middle of war or some type of disaster. Yes. So almost like walking dead with Rick's daughter. Are you reading the Walking Dead? Com- it's two different stories at this yeah, point. Because the comic, I mean, in the comic, she's dead. She she <laughs> no, got shot not, with a not, shotgun. Not um, the comic at this point. No, yeah, I think like I mean, it's a little bit. It's more developed than that because it's more like, it's more like Game of Thrones. I, I guess. Yeah, I think like it's more like Game of Thrones in terms of like point of view. I think like like what you said, you know, Hazel is like our narrator from the future, so we know that like she seems like a kind of an unbiased narrator, but like she does have some skin in the game and we do often get things spoiled for us by her and then like often kind of like catch up to her narrative. So I think like, I don't know, it seems a little bit different than those stories also just because like it does have a direct like point of view that's outside of the story, but also within the story. Very true. So before we move on to the next segment, does anyone want to say a favorite couple pregnancy moment? That's not the birth of um, the television child. Mine is absolutely just like like Hazel's birth. The opening of the comic, mm-hmm. I think, is like one of the best openings of any comic ever. Uh, it's funny and it's it seems very, I think to your point, man, it, it seems very real. You know, it's there. there is a very real family dynamic that grounds this whole story, which is, I think, why it's so charming. I think one, one of the interesting family developments that we haven't really had explored is uh, Upshur and Duff, which are the two homosexual couple journalists who are constantly being blackmailed for their pursuit in the story of Alana and Marco. And they're building a family of their own and they're constantly seeing bridges in their way of like, how do we, how do we grow as journalists? How do we grow as a couple? And they're constantly, their trust and their understanding of each other are constantly tested. And it's one of those two characters that while reading the comic continuously i don't like them i don't find them enjoyable at all but i think their story is very very fascinating i think their growth is interesting and i i think they're gonna be huge players in the long run of the story and i also think that it's very interesting to see a homosexual couple being major players in a ongoing i want to call saga a mainstream comic yeah i would say yeah, so. it's very po- it's like top 50 at least i think yeah yeah it's to see a homosexual couple being represented as a family in a mainstream comic i agree and i think it's interesting how their arc is kind of colored by their society's own rejection of their homosexuality which in a galaxy where like it seems that's pretty much okay everywhere else um it makes for i don't know kind of an interesting uh sort of commentary i guess i don't know if that's necessarily intended as a commentary on our own treatment of homosexuality because at the time of their introduction it still wasn't legal here in america but i definitely think that 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 makes kind of an interesting angle for me as well. That like they can constantly be blackmailed by their love while almost everyone else is able to use love as um, a means to like kind of pull themselves above the war to some degree. Phil, Brad, favorite moment, couple-wise? Six issues in. We've really only seen one birth. Yeah, we've seen one birth. And now we have just found out that the computers are about to have a baby. But so that, yeah, our one of one is our favorite birth, I guess. I think it's really interesting that so far, the primary antagonist, Prince Robot the Fourth, 
has like all these humanizing moments, even though he's like the villain of the story. So when he finds out his wife is pregnant, he's like sitting on a toilet reading like the smut book that Alana has. And that's like a very vulnerable. Been there. Like, been there reading smut in the toilet when he gets news of his child being uh, <laughs> a computer did. child. He told me yesterday he got news of his child being born while he was reading smut on the toilet. Yeah, yeah. You impregnated a woman with a TV head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about that right now. No comment. We, we can talk later, Phil. Phil, of course. we all know you're racist against TV heads. We don't have to bring <laughs> it out into the open. Cyborgs, man. Well, TV did kill the radio star. You did not. That's the best joke I had. <laughs> Um, I guess my, my favorite couple is The Will and The Stock. Yes, the st- good couple. The best couple. You need to let go of that that love, though, Phil. <laughs> I saw. You're going stock. to be hurt. I'm going to let you know right now. I, I saw what happened. I think it was issue five. Oh, it only gets worse from there, Phil. It's just going to hurt you more. Uh, okay, The Lion Cat and The Will, then. Oh, no. <laughs> Not romantic. Excuse me. Whoa. That's, I mean, that's it, is a, it is a family kind of couple, if you think about it. It's a it. family love. They're it's together. Chewbacca and Han. It's not a family yes, couple. Yes, the will, yes. We've seen in the comic, when, uh, especially when uh, there's that time weird baby that's born on the hatch. You remember? Oh, the planet baby? The planet baby. Yeah. And I were like, where yeah the way he was it. explaining it, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like the, the, they were on the planet with the giant with the huge Oh, balls. yes. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And the the will will do so anything the to balls, save the better. so much sex and nudity, man. Wait, what, Jamie? <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. So yeah. you were saying the will? The will <laughs> will do anything to save Lion Cat, and we've seen that is that as much as their relationship can be antagonistic throughout the comic, they do disagree, which is really interesting to play out. Like the will will risk his life to save Lion Cat. There is a Absolutely. bond there that we. That honestly is the most genuine bond we've seen in all of the series. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's interesting to, sorry to spoil things again for you guys, but now with the Will's current journey to avenge his sister, he is not with Lion Cat. He's instead Is with, it uh, Sweet Pea? Well, Lion Cat's dead, isn't she? No, 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 no not or at all. Or she just gets stolen? Yeah, no, no, no. She's, she's with... Um, Wasn't there that moment where Gwendolyn they... Gwendolyn and thought, Sophie. We thought they were dead? We were led to believe that, but no, yeah, she's fine. Yeah, I was like... that. Yeah. She, that's the same hazard, right? Yeah, no, she, no, she's with uh, Gwendolyn and yeah. Sophie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and they're trying to reunite. Yeah, no, because um, at the... Do you remember the... Oh, sorry, buddy. The scene where the dragon's sucking its own <laughs> dick. <laughs> that's a real thing. Yeah, no, Jamie, if you'll, if you'll recall... Pete um, reread all of the issues last night, so he's much more well versed than I am. Uh, you know, it's um, when the will is awoken after being healed. Hashtag um, woke. Hashtag woke. He is informed that his sister has been murdered by a dragon, as Matt so eloquently put it before. And he immediately like asks them all to leave. So Lion Cat's with right. Sophie, Gwen, and um, I guess that's it in their little band now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then he's got the dog. I don't know if it's Sweet Pea. I think it's. it's see, I don't up, know because I thought it was Pea, up something, but. No, he's sweet it's something. sweet something. Yeah. Oh wait, sweet is it sweet dog? It might be just be sweet dog. I think it might be sweet dog because I think that goose, goose called him sweet dog. <laughs> wait, is sweet pea the elephant from Adventure Time? Because I, I think that's what I'm thinking was, of. I think it's sweet dog, and that was the no, brand's animal. The, the elephant from Adventure Time is um, oh my god, it's sweet tree trunks, tree trunks. No, I think I think it's sweet dog, and that was the brand's animal, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely who we're talking about, the brand's animal. Sweet boy. Sweet, Sweet boy. boy. Sweet That's boy. his name. Sweet yeah. boy. Thank you. Sweet boy. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, so now, Phil? 
So that it? was the thing I wanted to say was that I thought it was interesting that now the will is with Sweet Boy and not with Flying Cat, you know, and like they yeah. are going off on this adventure together to avenge his sister. And that's uh, it's the first time we've seen that relationship you talk about with them actually split. Very true. <laughs> and then my favorite couple moment is I was talking to Pete about it earlier is they do a big splash page with Hazel's narration and it's Marco and Alana kissing. And then it says, this is the story of how my parents split, split. up. It's the first time I cried during... That was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man. Yeah, that's... And that's... We talked about that a little bit earlier. I think that's... Some of the most gut-punch moments of this book have definitely come from Hazel spoiling plot points for us. Which I... King is Hazel. so interesting. Like, I can't believe that there are so many things where I'm just like, I can't believe you just... Fucking spoiled that for me, Brian. <laughs> Do we know how old Hazel is at current time? No, we don't. No. Not at but all. But she has some pretty sophisticated knowledge. It seems as though she's older. because she, she's really old. She makes the comment that her parents allowed her to grow old, which is something that not a lot of people mm. get to do. Oh, right. She so says that. So I believe when we see the end of the book that like maybe Hazel will be like uh, old, old, old. And, like, her narration her, kills me. It's yeah. so sad. It's, Who knows yeah. what the life expectancy is on these Earths or planets. Well, look, we look sure at a like character. lady from the Titanic. <laughs> Rose. Yeah, Rose. Rose. Well, if we're going into another family, if I'm going to go into it, life expectancy isn't that expected. If you look at a character like Dango and his son, I want to say his son's name was Jakum. It was, I believe. It was Jakum. I don't know if that's or a Jacom. Jacom. Something about... Uh, where he died of diarrhea. Literally. He, he died of shitting himself to death, which is... Isn't that how you want to go out? That's most exactly people, how I want well, to go out, you know that most Phil. people shit themselves when they die. Yeah, but I mean, it's a little different. Than I want to shit shitting yourself until death. you die. Yeah, and it's apparently, a, cause of death. He makes it. He he tells us, informs us as a reader that that's a very common occurrence among the the robots. Yeah. Uh huh. Are you interested, Phil? Because they're a poor people. A poor, poor <laughs> Phil people. Phil loves Phil. death by shitting. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are we still talking about family and pregnancy here? Yes. I, I think. I think. Does anyone else have a final note that they want to? This. Put this. Out that there? seems like a good segue to war and violence. Here, I'm let sure me. Pooping does. yourself is let the me final save it. Note. Final note. Okay. Let go. Seven more segments. Okay, segment three: war and violence. So, of course, our heroes meet Alana and Marco because of the war occurring between their two peoples. Alana's is the Landfall Coalition, a.k.a. Landfall. Marco's planet is Wreath. And the war's been waging for so long that they outsourced the war to different planets. And now, basically... Yeah, it's worth re-mentioning, in case we didn't, that Wreath is the moon of Landfall. Yes. So that they decided to outsource the war so that they wouldn't mm-hmm. mutually destroy one another. Right, because they were just destroying the planets to a point that they thought it was obscene. Yeah, and it could have oh. thrown the uh, both planets off rotation if they continued warfare. Or just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> if you're going to destroy something that keeps you existing, why? But then I always thought that the outsourcing of war was a great metaphor for our wars, or wars that we've had. Yeah, that's true. It's true. In our lives. Proxy wars, as right. they're called. Yeah, but so my main question was just like, is that how applicable is that concept to our own world? I mean, I think that it's applicable to like the Cold War, for example, but probably still for... The war on terror. So I'm going to do everyone a favor here. I'm going to opt out of this conversation because I'm not as informed as in modern warfare as everyone else. And every time I open my mouth talking about current wars, I end up looking like an idiot because I'm not informed. So I'm going to push this and ask everyone else. Well, I'd, I'd like to jump in at the expense of Matt, Matthew Murphy. Thanks, I think of, of course. I think it's really interesting how 
there's several things that are explored. Firstly, there's kind of royalty caste system with a robot kingdom or whatever they're called. I'm just... Yep, no, you're right. Ooh, okay. So they're not only shown as being kind of a little bit impotent in that first issue, at least as the prince's con- concern, even though he got the princess pregnant, but he's got issues staying up or whatever. But uh, then you have a bunch of poor people. I think Matt of has war. The horrors of war, Phil. Staying up is my favorite new term. <laughs> staying up. The most important part of war that we never talk about is staying up. Staying up to get lucky, if you know what I'm saying, eh? That's what Daft Punk was speaking about. All, my- <laughs> all right, moving on, Phil. But that okay. <laughs> but then you have these two races who are, you know, with Gwendolyn when she's talking to um, oh boy, Marco. She's like, you know, fight the good fight, fight the good fight, and it kind of shows this this. The zealous patriotism, the jangoism of uh, of what war is like, but they know so little about one another. For instance, we're on when we're on the planet where they meet the haunt, haunt hauntlings or haunt, the haunt the haunters, the Pokemon haunter. What were they uh, called again? Sorry, that ghost race. What are they called? They're called the haunts. The not the. I literally couldn't find the words because I couldn't <laughs> stop laughing about haunters. <laughs> the haunters. You ever notice haunters' weird hands? Like, yeah, creep me out, man. Dude, yes. A fucking. Well, he's a scary ugh, Pokemon. Those long ass fingers. Ugh. Anyway, Event- so the haunts. That's true. Evil. The haunts will invo- uh, evolve into Gengars, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Eventually. The point is. There's a lot of dialogue that's exchanged about how little they know about what these haunts are like and what they actually do. And like the what's her name? The the primary ghost character that Isabel. you're introduced to. Isabel talks about, oh, you have all these preconceived notions that, you know, you absolutely know nothing about us. And it kind of shows how during times of war you dehumanize the opposition in any way. Absolutely. Which, is, which we see in comic book literature and actual reality, if you read like World War II era comic books, the characterization of Japanese and German people are really awful. <laughs> it's pretty bad, especially if, uh, I don't know if anyone's, side note, if you've read Fucre, the recent issue of Future Quest number one, the villain is very, very Asian, is very Japanese-based, and that's from the fact that we keep reusing the same tropes over and over again. So the point I'm trying to allude to here is that in time of war, you don't know your enemy as as intimately as you should, even though it's an intimate experience that is warfare. I have two points, and I know I said I wouldn't comment, but <laughs> here I am. So I think another interesting point to bring up is in the first arc when uh, Marco goes against the Lionfall soldiers to defend Alana and Hazel is that at one point he gets a severe PTSD flashback, and he's like, kill the wings, kill the wings, kill the wings. And Alana has to shoot him down uh, with a stun gun to make him stop. And it's the fact that this is a severely... This war has affected people on a level that we haven't really had explored yet in this comic, and that we haven't really seen Marco's what Marco's done in the war, and people have referred to him as a beast, as a monster, because he's done some things, he's seen some things that have really affected him, but he's still fallen in love with Alana, and it's very interesting to see like how love connects war in the ongoing narrative of the comic, but we really haven't had explored the war aspect of the series so far and the other point i wanted to bring up was something i mentioned before when we were talking about the series before the podcast was that when we look at uh the robot kingdom after prince robot the fourth has a meeting with king robot is that he's looking at on the world around him and they say uh that people focus on the war outside so that they don't have to focus at the war at home whereas uh 
a robot kingdom is really specifically based off Brazil. You have like uh, people living in extreme squalor, extreme like poor conditions. There's houses stacked on houses, and that uh, you have the terrorist Dengo who goes after uh, the princess because his son has died due to poor conditions like diarrhea. Diarrhea is a severe affliction in this world, and that war. Pete and I are like yes. It's serious true. problem. It's a, it is a serious problem. This is not a laughing matter. Guys, stop laughing. Not at, at all. Children dying of malnutrition is not funny, Jamie. <laughs> no dehydration. But one of the like what I'm trying to say is that is that war happens everywhere, and that's one of the things that they want to that saga focuses on. And Brian K. Vale wants to show in the narrative is that people will bring wars to other worlds to distract the issues at home, and we see extreme poor conditions, and it's a real reflection of how the world is around in reality, where if you look at Brazil's issues right now, a lot of them are reflected in the robot kingdom, as we've seen so far. I can't comment much on the state of Brazilian politics, but um, I'll take your word for it on that one. I think it wouldn't be above Brian K. Vaughn to to do a little bit of research into something like that for that kind of allegory. I know um, I saw him speak at New York Comic Con, I guess, two years ago now to talk about Saga. And that was something that he said was that um, whenever he wrote, whenever he writes a new book like this, he always has a certain thing in mind that he would like to learn more about by writing about the book. And with Saga, he did say that he wanted to explore the ideas of parenthood, family dynamics, and love and war. So the book does such a good job of world building. It really does. And it does. It, you know, you have the families that ground it, but then you have you know we talked about the robot kingdom, which is like this oligarchical aristocracy, which has these very rich 18th, 19th century dressing robot men. Uh, TV screen faces. A bunch of poor, pooping, poor people. Mm, pooping poor people. <laughs> it's like the French Revolution all over again. I mean, <laughs> my phone thought I was talking to it, and it looked up pooping poor people. <laughs> <laughs> Siri, look up. I found Matt where he lives with that comment. <laughs> <laughs> I love the French Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Viva la France! I do too. It was the most metal thing I was ever taught oh, about it was in school. Dope as fuck. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I love Napoleon. <laughs> it shows where my head's at. No, all I want to say is that I, about I had a French class. I had a French class with a French professor from Paris, and she taught about Napoleon in a way of patriotism and nationalism that I didn't know was possible. Hey, when I, he was a great um, conqueror. He was a great guy. Yeah, until I, they I, marooned I, him on an <laughs> island and made him live out the she rest really of his was, days dying of scurvy. She was about what happened to him. She was like, I, was f- I don't blame her. Yeah. You know, Matt Murphy, you remind me of Louis the Sixteenth because, like Louis the Sixteenth, both of your penises made girls cry. <laughs> oh, God thank bless. you. <laughs> he had like a a, a a defect that caused his erections to be very painful for him. Wait, oh. really? So you're telling him me that every aspect of sex for him was painful? It was. No wonder you he was had such to have a surgery dick. later in life. Good point. The like most pleasurable thing of his life was the most painful. Yeah. My sex life isn't painful. It's the stuff that happens before that's painful. Well, but wait, speaking about sex, transition moment. S- transition moment. I think that in, I read a great article before this podcast about how in Saga, sex is the key to solving the problem. Well, that's something that uh, Mr. Heist, the author, says to uh, Prince Robot in their meeting is that uh, a constant question he praises that a lot of people say that the, the opposite of war is peace and love, whereas uh, the opposite of war is fuck. <laughs> One of the things he brings up is that uh, he has Prince Robot think he asks him, What do you think of when you think of the war? 
And Prince Robot thinks of an orgy of every month person in his uh, platoon. Men, women, everyone's just fucking <laughs> in their raw fucking. <laughs> it's hard. It's and I don't mean like just be inappropriate about this. This is this is the vision that he sees. Is that it's just unfiltered, no emotion. He describes just it as an orgy, raw sexuality, and that's what people are drawn to after war after such an intense feeling of hate and violence they want to feel something but they also want to feel nothing they just want to feel a freedom of sexuality a freedom of person and that's why our immediate view goes to fucking and i don't know why Brian K. Vaughn specifically focuses on this we haven't really explored it in the long run of the story but it's interesting to see that this is a a theme that is played upon in every single character we've encountered so far. Now, I've always wondered this, or I'm currently wondering this, and maybe one of you guys that are a little further on in the series can can answer this, but is sex in this story arc, does it play a character, or is it more of like Game of Thrones sex, where it's more of just like, let's keep the attention of all these people during the monologues, of the boring monologues? Not at all. Yeah, no, not at all. I think like sex is a major theme in the yes. in the world of saga. Sex is definitely like I think like Matt said, it's it's the opposite of war. Is like love, but not only love, but like sexuality in its most pure and primal form. Right. Okay. Because I once heard that war itself and aggression and like punching somebody in the face, if you take away the anger from that, it's just it's just intimacy. Well, is but all it is. war is also like destruction, whereas sex is technically creation. I just for a, inherently. For, yeah, yeah. Like inherently. That's the concept. Uh, you mentioned that it was a character. And unlike uh, Scott Snyder's Batman run where Gotham is a character and it's a frequent player in the game of Batman. Sex isn't really, it's less of a character, more of a theme. And it's something that I've dealt with personally. Whereas when you deal with conflict, sex is one of the immediate answers to go to. It It's a blind passion. Especially for Alana and Marco. Especially for Alana and Marco. Alana immediately goes to, if you look at the, I know you and Phil have not reached that point, but uh, when they are at Heist Lighthouse, and uh, Marco wants to talk about their next step in life. Alana's like, just undo your pants. Like, I want to... Oh, yeah, she wants to give him a blow. She um, wants to blow him yeah. just to d- just not have that conversation. And that's, again, when Alana, uh, in the next arc, when Alana comes home high and Marco is, like, his mistress is... Not his mistress, but the woman who wants to be his mistress is flirting with him. The first thing he does is, I need my wife. Like, is to not deal with problems, the immediate answer is fucking. It's raw, hard fucking. And I, I apologize for the language oh, for no, using this, but it's just exactly. We're all, we're all adults here. Is sex. So, would you say that? Real quick, before we, because I do want to let you ask that question, but something you touched on uh, briefly, I think drugs are also a theme in that, that where Mm -hmm. it's not just like sex for, like, I think you're talking about it's that raw passion. It's like, it's an escape. It's an escape from the reality that, like, is war for them. And that even after the fight is over, that they're still struggling with uh, through, you know, PTSD, for lack of a, a better term. So, in the real world, I like to view sex as a place where both partners are at their most vulnerable. And and they're most open. Is that a way? And do they use that in the comic where not only when one is trying to be defensive and not answer questions and not talk about the next steps, but is that used to 
to get maybe somebody that's more closed off ever to to open up more. I'm the wrong person to answer that question. Well, I was going to say, going back to what Matt said about how sex is like everything and nothing, I think it's interesting too when people... I think it's cool that the sex is so explicit in some ways when I think about it now because I think that when I think back on stories of sex, it feels like you can't think of any details. You're just like, it happened. So, but at the same time, it's everything to you, which I think is fascinating. Like, it's weird to because I think that's why we have such a visceral reaction when we watch explicit sex because, like, nobody remembers their sex in, like, that blow-by-blow detail. Like, I mean, you remember it, but the thing is, you remember it in concept, but you don't remember it in, like, I thrusted once and I thrusted twice and I thrusted, like, the third time. Like, you don't remember it, like, I mean, maybe Matt maybe remembers Matt it. Maybe I'm Matt remembers so it. Detail. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see what you're saying. I think Thanks, that, like, guys. I think that the book definitely makes it. I don't think you do. I'm just saying maybe you do. I didn't <laughs> want to offend you and say that you don't remember sex in a detailed Every way. I don't. Detail. I remember it in an ethereal sense. Like, I remember, like, this happened and this happened. But I don't remember, like, the whole, like, hour. hour. Uh, whoa. <laughs> you, Jamie. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo to Bravo. Trust me, I've, 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 my sex has verged from two minutes to an hour and a half. That sounds pretty common. I, I, I think it is. So, I'm not going to touch that. I almost <laughs> did, but I didn't. To take it back to Saga, I, I think that the book makes a distinction between fucking and like lovemaking, though. You know, because I do, there is like, um, yes, yes. even when we do see um, Alana and Marco using sex as a escape, it is also like kind of an escape to their intimacy, I think, to their relationship, which is regardless of how every, literally everything else around them is terrible. That's kind of the... I say love works for them. Yeah, love is the, you know, the um, the, the ship in the storm, I guess. And, uh... <laughs> Except for that infidelity issue, The though. ship in the storm. But there isn't any infidelity. So deep. Like, uh, Marco doesn't actually have a mistress. They don't have sex. Just a lacking there's, moment. Yeah, yeah, but there's a lacking moment, but, you know, they're they're distant there, and I think that's natural. That happens. Like, they're not... Ebb and flow. He comments that they're not seeing each other a lot. She's losing herself into this other world with drugs and these people he doesn't know. I think you and, guys are wrong. Really? Because... Marco does have a mistress, and that's Alana, where his fiance ah. is Gwendolyn. Oh, that's a good point. Is that before this whole story is that he has devoted his life to another person. That's true. And that slowly through war, he has developed as a whole different person. He has developed new views, a new a new life. But, still, another, but he still almost takes another mistress. Perhaps another birth, though. Correct. Dude's got a lot of mistresses. <laughs> Who's getting the ring in the end, though? Uh, don't tell me if it's already happened. <laughs> it hasn't. Okay. They haven't married. Yes, yeah. They well, yeah. What was that? He took the ring they're that was going before to. The, the... Oh right, technically before. Yeah. Well, no, they they were married in that arc that you had. You they're married. Played. They're married in the first issue. Technically, they're Al- married. Alana. Yeah. yeah no, they're, Alana they're gets the ring, the but it turns out the, the ring is the fiance. It belongs to the fiance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But they had already been married. Yeah, they had been together. Okay. All right. But it's one of those things where I don't know. And I don't want to bring it up because everyone's so f- two people in our party are so far behind. Oh, no, fu- <laughs> but I'm gonna do it anyway. Go there. Uh, at the end of our last issue, uh, I believe it's 33. Yeah, go ahead. Take your yeah, headphones go off. It. Don't listen. Yeah. I can hear them. I'm in the <laughs> you're room. Not, That's a good point. Uh, is that Alana and Marco are gonna have another child? Yay! Woo! And that uh, it's one of those things where along the way during their tepid period where uh you've seen marco in the most def- definitive turns he abused alana well wasn't there a moment where he she like her. asked well didn't yeah was it, didn't she ask him though at one point to hit her too and he refused uh, okay so just to clarify for those who aren't familiar right yeah, like go, give he, me a he threw a bag of groceries at her that had cans in it so that's definitely right. like like you that's said in the most good. it's in not the most domestic abuse yeah Shitty. in the most he definitely abuse hit her. yes yeah. 
And that's something that like he you know, lashed out. Yeah, and 100%. he acknowledges that yeah. she throws him out of the house. But then like there's a flashback later on where he wouldn't hit her. Where, because yeah, she and that's said it, cause it was right. to him and he um, wouldn't do it. Right, yeah. yeah, where they're having sex and she asks him to hit her intimately. She asks her to spank yes. him, or she asks him to spank her. Yes, war brings out the worst in people. Yes, well, Matt. <laughs> nothing. Has that um, ever happened to you? <laughs> that's a personal story for uh, comic this comics first after comics hours. Comics first stories. Yeah, um, <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is that. Uh, I actually completely <laughs> lost where I was. We talking about mistresses. <laughs> and then we were talking about violence. We were talking about a lot of things. We talked about a lot of shit in the terms. Yeah, of we talked about talking. a lot of definitive. We completely got lost there. You're hurting me. And oh. and who the ring belongs the, to? The, and how they fell the apart. And ring. mistresses, infidelity. rings, infidelity. No, we we're talking about the next the next child. Is that oh. they're gonna have right. a child, and that Marco he hits Alana, and Alana's at that point like she's. Has really issue, she has a big issue with drugs. Uh, yeah, she reveals that she had been on drugs around their child. Yeah, and that's when he throws a the lot, groceries. A at lot it. of drugs. Yeah. They are disconnected as marital partners, and they both they both at two different extremes, and it's very very it's very difficult to identify with either of them at that point. We uh, we see two people at their lowest points, and uh, at some point between the fourth arc and the sixth arc, they have sex again and. Are in the process of having a child, and it it gets to the point that like uh we were talking about where there's sex and love is that we don't know if this was a raw moment of passion or this was love between two people that are in love and married or two people that in a fit of passion just lose themselves. See, I totally disagree. I think that um, Hazel's narration definitely leads us to believe that it's that their love is rekindled in that time where they're looking for her and that they're still together yeah. after, yeah. And that when they when they find when they get the news that their child is alive, that's when they are able to Truly finally commit. Yeah, and like finally able to like consummate again. I don't believe without guilt. that. You don't think because so? Because as much as I want to say that they came back together and they were able to find their it was child, rough. It was a rough patch. I'll it say was that. it was a rough patch, and they their sole goal in the end was to bring back their child. Their issues are not dealt with. Is that no? Not at all. Not at all. I don't know if they need to be though. But no, they no, all, no, but they then do. Again, they always had issues though. Like even like the first issue, I regret it today. And she's like, we don't. They want it. They have a fight about the name. Where she's like, her name's Pico, and they're like, he's like Beatrice, and she's like, no, Pico's not a good girl. Like she's Pico, and then she's like, well, we don't have to decide till the first wing bleeding. And he's like, well, we'll never have a wing bleeding because that's a religious ceremony. And she's like, well, it's cultural. Is and like they have, like they've always had differences. But yeah. they've had differences. But they, we've never seen them deal with any of their problems without the help of another person around them. And the fact that we've just seen them having sex, dealing with issues, like, uh, which we've never seen the, uh, their relationship truly explored. Well, do you think that sex flashbacks? is curative or not? I think that's, I think that Brian K. Vaughn believes that sex will cure problems. I don't. I think I don't, he does believe that. I don't think he believes that. And I'll say that again. Apologies, listeners. <laughs> From a personal standpoint, is that sex is dealt with as a means to an end. It's the means mm. to stop an argument, the means to stop a conversation. You want to end a conversation and move forward. And that's really how sex is used. Sex distracts in, from problems. Sex distracts from problems. Sure. Sex it defers. Yeah. And that's exactly what's going on in Saga Right. So, but here's why mm, I, dis- I like that. Here's, here's why I disagree with that, though, is because I think if that was truly the case, then it would have been characterized as they. I think they would have been having sex that entire time to deal with the problem of them mourning the the accepted death of their daughter. 
And but I don't, they were, but they were dealing with their own personal problems with sex. So if they have a problem occur between them, they would fuck. Sure, but like I think like to your point, right? Like we have seen sex as a means to an end all these other times, but this time they have sex in celebration of. Good they didn't news. have sex in celebration of good use. They did not even acknowledge that because at that point they had sex prior to finding Hazel. No, That's, no, what? they did. When? It's they, done when off they panel. Ha- when they do that, well, they have that whole scene where they like are rekindling and they're like espionage efforts and then they're fucking. Okay. Yeah, no, because yeah, it's, but it's f- after they get about. the news. It's found out that they had the baby after they get Hazel back. Oh, I see. What yeah. You mean the baby that came from before? Yeah. Oh, from oh, the, I see what you're the saying. From the interim period yes, of yes, 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 pain, yeah. yes. They had, we don't know, is that that... We we haven't explored that period. That's a good yet, point. That's a good point. Which is a lot of, and we'll probably deal with this later. Which is my my biggest problem with the latest arc of Sokka. What? I don't know. I, was, I don't know if we're going to address it a little later. We're time, going to talk. Or... Well, the next segment is sex, so I can stop it now and we can talk about. It Wait, later. we haven't been talking about sex this entire time. Been in war and violence, and we just transitioned to sex. I think it, go, it goes hand in hand. Shit, it goes hand in hand. It do, it, and I think in Saga, war and violence and should sex should we just keep talking go. then? Yeah, we can just like, keep talking. Yeah, let's not well, let's I mean, not cut for another second. No, just keep talking. Sex. A great dialogue here. Yeah, I agree. Sex is pure. So yeah, that's that's a good. <laughs> Saga doesn't believe that. Sex is real. You can tell when you're, you're, in, you're a sex, new intern, Brad. When you're I, with someone <laughs> that's my two and you're fucking, they're real. It's it's real. It's, no, it's real. real. Oh, everybody's Brad. everybody's vulnerable in that moment. We're all blade bare. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> so how about that sex? Pete, did you have something to say about the sex? About sex in saga or sex in general? Like, (laughs) there's we're having a lot of different conversations here. Sex in saga. Sex in saga would be preferable. Sure. I mean, I think we've touched on it a lot. I think that I think Matt's definitely right that sex is definitely characterized as a means to an end. I think I think that's true in a lot of ways. But I think that where I guess we disagree a bit is I think that the means to an end end isn't always necessarily not love or intimacy or any of these other things we're talking about. Spoiler alert. You're wrong. Sorry. <laughs> that it, is sassy. I'm sorry. Uh, Matt doesn't believe in love. If you look at the will. Uh, <laughs> Based on his sex life, I wouldn't either, frankly. They learned, uh, listeners, they learned a lot about me really quickly before this podcast. I don't I'm know sorry. how Matt still lives, frankly. Hey, how do you how do you get out of bed every morning? I don't. I, I cry. I have a decent <laughs> half to hour of crying before I go to work every morning. <laughs> that makes sense. It's it does. Been, it's been hard. It's it's a hard life I live. <laughs> so I would embrace abstinence if I were you. I have. <laughs> a year and a half without sex, listeners. I'm good. Again, I don't think He's on Twitter, Facebook. <laughs> um, uh, you can find me on every dating app. I'm there. <laughs> He's been through. So be I've gentle. Been through some shit. <laughs> You're embracing farmersonly.com. He likes Sunstone, lesbian BDSM comics. Uh, Frontier, uh, number 11, BDSM. Great book. Take note. So anyway, you were so saying. So anyway, moving forward, if you look at a character like the Will, immediately after the stalk is dead, uh, he doesn't go after uh, Prince Robot the Fourth. He doesn't deal with anything. He immediately goes to Sextillion. Sure. Well, no, wait, wait. He went to Sextillion before her death. I think he did in Save Sophie. He went yes. to yeah. see Sophie. Yes. Yes. Is that he went to drown himself in sex. He right. went to drown to himself. To deal with the pain, yes. And he... One of the things he asks is, this all seems too tame, is that he wants to feel yes. the emotion that he feels from the silks 
uh, we learn that she uh, she slept with someone else during a mission, and he hasn't dealt with that. He's very upset by it. He's very heartbroken. He's very heartbroken, and he needs something sexually Dangerous. depriving. Like he, he doesn't wants really to, get it though. He doesn't. He doesn't want to feel pain. He doesn't want to give pain. He just wants it. It feels like he less wants to like take part in the sexual thing, but he wants to see it. Well, doesn't he ask for it and they give him the young girl Sophie they and then he's like yes. incorrect. A six year old. Yeah, and he's not what horrified. he was looking for, and it outrages him. Yeah, yeah, and it's a lot of the things is that uh, you can tell from that moment forward that sex is used for people as a distraction and people used as a predatory move. And it's one of those things that I like about Saga is that sex is, while it is a passionate strategic maneuver in the comic, it's also a power move. And that isn't uh, it always though? It, I think it always sex is. is. I mean, I think that there's this weird thing with sex where it's like it's the one debatably involuntary like pleasure response that we have. Like most of my pleasure responses, like when I eat, you control them. I control those. Like I'm like actively like I'm gonna eat a chili cheeseburger and I'll know exactly what I get. But I feel like sex is the one uncertain pleasure response that we have. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, but it also de- I think it depends on what most people are seeking as well. Like we look at the will and he doesn't know what he's looking. It all just seems too too tame and too innocent for him. And then we look at a character like uh, Prince Robot when he's trying to have sex with the princess and. Uh, he's having as soon as he's in he has flashbacks to war periods and one of the i don't know if this is during a sex moment or anything but he has that flashback to the mouse who's trying to treat him on the field yes that's hard he blows up from the gas and it's that no matter what uh the the masks yeah Yeah. is that prince moma as his what he wants is to he wants to feel a raw passion he wants to have that erotic feeling but every moment he has that he can't help but think about all of the terrors in this world right is that there and sex in this comic is that that people deal with sex in a different way there are a lot of different sexual identities sexual preferences how people use sex and it's it's very hard and another good character that, that we use this with is clara marco's mother is that immediately after uh, her husband bar dies is that she she kindles a relationship with uh the writer heist and isabel has this conversation with her like uh he's like clara's like it's too soon it's too soon and isabel's like is it really too soon like wouldn't bar want this for you and one of the things that uh, uh hazel says in the narrative is that Clara would never love anyone like she did Bard, but that's not to say she didn't have lovers along the way. Right. Yeah. Is that sex is sex is also used as a way to deal with loss. And sex sure, is sure. along the way it's just it's a means to an end, as it is with war. I feel like it's almost like sex is everything and nothing. So it's like sex is also everything. Yeah. And I think that's something people forget. Like people think of sex as like especially with like our HBO generation. You know, they're like they're like sex is meaningless. Like people fuck <laughs> Like they're like they do it with anyone and it doesn't mean anything. But like sex is also everything. Like it it's creation, it's ultimate statement. I feel side note, I traded comic books with this guy in Grand Central earlier and I told him about recording I was gonna do this podcast beforehand and that he should look out for it. I'm so sorry ahead of time, Mike, that you had to hear that our first the first podcast you listened to from us is about fuck Saga is but and I you would- know what Saga is beautiful. Saga is about well. Saga is about fucking. I think Saga. If I think I if I talked to Brian Kavon and I was like, "What do you think about fucking?" He'd be like, "Fucking is beautiful." Yeah, I feel like he would say that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think sex is ever um, necessarily like supposed or not. It's not depicted in like a um, 
conservative kind of view. It's not supposed to be. It's not depicted as something that's necessarily good or bad. Well, I think if you look at, if you bring up that, you have to look at Brian K. Vaughn as an author in general, and you look at his work like uh, Runaways and Paper Girls, and most of his work thematically is about relationships and how things are dealt with and how relationships are allow the narrative to move forward. And this is one of his first comics that deal directly with sex. But all of them have to deal with relationships and how they're developed. And I think this is his most mature title. And I think this is him maturing as a writer as a whole. You know, sex is explored in this book, not just in the interpersonal kind of way or how love is involved, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. But you think about the sextillion planet and how unusual a lot of the inhabitants of that planet are there's like a centipede woman and of course there's the spider woman that uh the will has a history with and it kind of the stock. talks the stock aka the stock doesn't she ask to put it what's the inner inner spinner inner spinner mm-hmm, put it in my mm-hmm. spinner she's so great she's, matt knows she's a lot about putting in the spinner amazing She's, Dude, no, man. Come on. She, OG she feminist. Haunts, she haunts my, She's my nightmares. She's a cunt, but in the best I way. think at one point, She's I was scary. like, I want all my... I'm not surprised that Matt wants to fuck her. Yeah, no, I have what? a real big issue with women with... Matt likes dominant females. I like powerful females. women. Dominant females. Matt loves I also Gone love Girl. a powerful woman, but not one that is, has the Puts body of a spinner. spider. No, it's, just, it's spider body. Uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You don't it. want to put it in her spinner. Down for the no, aggressive not, girls, no. I don't want to put it anywhere near. You I'm like afraid. the movie Gone Girl? I love Gone Girl. I've never seen Gone Girl. You've never seen Gone Girl and you love powerful women? I couldn't women? talk to a girl for two weeks after watching that Gone movie. Girl is the best movie ever. Oh and I will gosh. say this. I was so scared of I never questioned Amy's motive for a minute. Just I really? Come on, a little drastic. little drastic. I'm telling you that the best line of that a film ever was, let the punishment equal the crime. Uh, the crime was cheating. The punishment everyone, was everyone, murdering people. Everyone in that film was like, they were like, this girl's... Um, and me and my friend were saying in that theater, and we're like, but why the fuck... How you doing over there? I'm a little terrified. You need to watch never image I got from Gone Brule. Matt, if you ever dated main... me, you would probably get framed for murder. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm game. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when Matt and I started dating. That sounds exciting. Phil, did you have a point somewhere before this interlude? Got weird. Wow. um, (laughs) So, Gone Girl aside, which is a very overrated movie. (laughs) uh, Incorrect. Oh, wow. Fuck. Shots fired. Fuck you. Well, I like how it kind of explores how weird sex can be having all these unusually the anatomical unusualness of the aliens in the book and you have these humanoids and the sexual nature between these species it kind of both normalizes but also kind of underscores the unusualness of it is what i was saying anyone else have something on sex in saga no Mm. have we have we alleviated the entire sexual I think we finished, if you know what I'm saying. I think everyone came. Thank you, you Phil. I think you know what I mean. I think the sex and saga is kind of gross because I just don't (laughs) feel that people who are trees can consent to having sex with people who are reindeer. I am Groot. I just think it's bizarre. And I... I just, I, I just, I'm not sure how utilitarian that is. If we, if the animals can't speak for themselves, they can speak. I don't know. Are we talking about? Are we? T- is this about Saga? Yeah. Oh, just kidding. Bye. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking what? about? Thank you. I have so many questions. You put us in arms. 
up in arms. That's what we are. I'm very confused. Is everyone done? <laughs> so we made the comparison earlier to Game of Thrones. <laughs> and this is a book that is no stranger to death. There are lots of shocking deaths, unexpected deaths. Yeah, I think unexpected lots is a of good death word for them. In, in general? So how did everyone feel about the death? Did they like it? Did they feel like it was cheap shots? I know. I think death is used pretty tastefully in Saga. I think every death has been completely genuine and has been able to move the fourth, the narrative forward, and it feels completely genuine and natural. Whereas you look at Barr, who was a character, Marco's father, Clara's wife. He's a mo- hu- spoiler for the new people. Ooh, spoiler. Uh, he is a sorry. <laughs> he is a month to live. Uh, it's implied that he has a heart condition and that he is falling completely through the arc of the. It's the second arc of the title. And he tries to save his family and it completely gives away his heart. Like he gives, uh, he sacrifices himself for his family. Yeah. And I think, I think every, to your point, like I think every death has felt very natural and each one has been, I mean like every death of a character that you're attached to is shocking, right? Like I think like when death as a thing is accused of being used as shock value, it's, I don't necessarily think that's fair, especially for a book like this where it's just like death, this is a book about war. People die during wars. So, like, I think the death has always been kind of a natural just step from a conflict. I think that's an interesting uh, idea, Pete, that you bring up, especially when you bring up the the death of uh, the princess, Prince Robot, the yes. boar's wife, where her death felt uh, she was killed by a terrorist uh, right in front of her child. And it was it didn't feel horrifying at all. No. For me no. as a reader, where it just felt completely normal. It felt it felt natural in the way of the plot. And it was it was horrifying in a way, but it just it worked, and it it kind of made me feel sick in a way that I felt comfortable with it. It's the horrors of war. Yeah, and it reminded me of even like the stocks death, where it was like people die in unexpected moments. Like they, cause I didn't feel like when I was in that scene, I was like, oh, like this is because for example, when I went to see um not that it's, I love this movie, but Captain America: Civil War, whenever T'Challa is introduced and his father's there, um, Matt's so excited he lost his headphones. Whenever T'Challa is introduced, they show his dad, and his dad is like, "You're not much for diplomacy," and he's like, "Well, I thought it was the right thing to do," and his dad just like grabs his face and he's like, "I love you, son." I was like, "This man is." Fu- dead. I was like, he's going to die in the next scene. Like, it was yeah. very clear they were giving him almost a swan song type moment. Right. They wanted him to have emotional resonance. And it works. I mean, it's fine. But like, there's no moments like that in Saga. It's like, when they die, they die in the middle of their life. Yeah, I have I, to disagree with that, because I feel like uh, Heist had that kind of death. He had a swan song type death, he actually. Good point. Good point. And, um, I think that Brian came, but I think that Brian Kavon can't help but love Heist because Heist is him. He's, well, he's the one that's writing a book about yeah. inter- interracial I think, like, at love the, and name of war. Yeah. I completely disagree for one line that uh, Heist makes throughout the entire thing is that Heist is afraid of artists. Heist is afraid of collaboration. Heist is afraid of creating something. And you look at Heist and the reason that he is afraid of collaborating and creating something is that with his first wife, his wife, she died as a a casualty of war. His son ended up fighting a war and ended up killing himself. Right. He's afraid of bringing something into this world because everything that he's loved, that he's collaborated with, has died. And that nothing... And if you look at back uh, what we said earlier about Clara, is that your first love is your true love and you'll never love anything ever the same way again. It's depressing. It's depressing, but... uh if you look at Heist as a character, he never loved anyone. My as first true love as... has testicular cancer. What does that mean? Oh my God, Jamie, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's I'm a serious. truth bomb. Oh, that's true. God, 
Jesus Christ. He was shitty. Karma's a bitch. Whoa. <laughs> I feel like Whoa. thrown off of my point completely. Right. <laughs> I feel like we all need to take a break and talk about our love lives. Let's talk about but it. I'm going to move forward because I'm going to I'm going to try really hard. Matt's strong, so he'll move forward in spite of my tragedy. Jesus Christ, Jamie. <laughs> Holy shit. By the way, Takala's dad doesn't <laughs> he, say I love you. He says thank you. He and says, then he thank says thank you. you back. And what's even funnier is that Matt's told me a million crazy stories about his like sex life and love life, but the fact that my ex had testicular cancer has really rocked him and I'm really proud. <laughs> oh Jesus. There's nothing worse than losing your balls. But if you miss <laughs> if you mistreat Jamie, you deserve ball cancer. You're probably gonna lose your balls. Yeah. Everybody be nice to Jamie. All right, so moving Arts. forward. Yeah, Arts. I like I had a point, and then that happened. So yeah, I'm sorry, I dropped the, the mic. Cancer was a real positive note there. A real swan song for his testicles. <laughs> Anyone want to talk about the art? Yeah, it's wait, super wait, wait, intricate. we completely missed. Yo, we're done. We're done with death. We're done with death. <laughs> I think there's way more to talk about during death. <laughs> we can talk more about death. I'm kidding. All right, lots to talk about with testicles and death. <laughs> well, uh, if we're no going one has back testicular the... cancer. In I, I did want to say one more thing. Jesus. Good point. Uh, <laughs> to to a point that one of the two of you made earlier before this went <laughs> way off the rails was that I think that like not every character gets the swan song death because like we see like the brand died like almost without meaning, totally just bitten in half by a dragon unexpectedly. Do you have anything to say about that, Matt? Yeah, I, got, I just got mad so good. Yeah, no, you broke. This him. never happens. You broke. Him. I never win this much. I've never I've never seen him so shaken. <laughs> Matt's a broken man. Can you repeat what you said? Sure, I can, I can. So to the point about not every character having a ceremonious death, um, when we saw like the brand, um, the Will sister die, she died like very unexpectedly. And it was just like a very snap. It hurt me. Yeah, yeah. And that was a very shocking death. But again, I didn't think it felt like shock value. It's just like somebody had to die against one of these monster fights, right? Like eventually. Statistically, we have to die in these fights. It's like... Okay, we're not invincible. And I think it was cool that it was kind of like uh, almost like that is, I think, how people do die in real conflicts, right? It is in that split second. It's not like always this ceremonious, like big moment when someone right. sees their end. I think that death in Saga, especially looking at the brand's death, is that it's not that someone has to die really, is that everyone's really a casualty of their own storyline. Is that deep? Everything sort of happens no matter what goes on. Where you look at Gwendolyn and Sophie, is that they're trying to save the will, and the brand's doing whatever she can to save her brother. And it's the fact that if you look at it, is that everyone the will loves dies trying to really help him in a way. If you look at the stock, is that she wants to work together to get the prize but she also wants to work together and in her own way if you read the first story arc over and over again it says she wants to work on their relationship she wants to have Mm -hmm. a conversation she wants to have a dialogue it's that everyone the will loves dies because they're always trying to benefit him because he he's one of those few characters that wallows in his own misery the whole narrative he ends up becoming a drug addict in the previous the last arc because he starts to realize that slowly and it's it's really one of those sad things that it's death. Death is a quant. And sorry, I'm all over the place here, but I want to bring this back to the point is that something Marco says in the first arc is that uh, our consequences are going to have, there's going to be a consequence to every action we take. Yes. And we see that later on where uh, the soldier that he cuts his hand off ends up talking to uh, Upshur and Doff. 
yes his story yeah. is that there's a consequence to every action in saga and that every character who makes an action who makes a move in if we're using game of thrones terms in the the storyline that the game of thrones every there's a uh, there's a consequence to every action and that death is going to be a consequence and that no matter what you face no matter how much you love someone how much you hold them dear they're going to fall if you make the wrong move. Right. Death is always on the table. A big problem with this thing is that a lot of these characters are immature. And that's one of the major issues of Saga is that no one knows what they truly want in life. Our narrative is Hazel and we have Hazel at the, what we, what we all in this uh, podcast have determined is that her at the end of her days or at her older days is that we're, she's looking back at the people around her life, the people that make up her story. Right. And no one knows what they truly want. Alana and Marco, they're in love, but they don't they don't want the same things in their relationship. The will is constantly falling for women and then losing women. He doesn't know what he wants. He's bouncing mm-hmm. between Prince Robot is he wants to deal with his child. He wants to be with his wife, but he keeps he keeps not dealing with the war. He wants to deal with the issues that he's been dealt. Uh, Upshur and Doff want to tell their story. They're not allowed to tell their story or they'll be outed to the world. But every move everyone makes causes more pain and more death. And I think that's another aspect of war that we see around us is that every move you make for the positive, every move you make for yourself is going to end up hurting the people around you. When you have death as such a... In war, when you have war as a backdrop for a story like this, it serves as a pivotal inciting incident for character progression and growth and it's kind of juxtaposed with sex because i think a lot of times in war stories sex is a prominent theme but it's kind of a backdrop for even someone like marco's character development because he talks about how he grew apart from gwendolyn uh, gwendolyn thank you and how she's stagnated from being stuck on this on her home planet as opposed to him being involved in this war and that's the case for a lot of these characters who have been so entrenched in this war whether it's prince robot marco or anyone because that's just the nature of of any kind of story that has war as such a featured backdrop and I think just going back to what Matt was saying about each person, I always like the will because I think the will is the one example we have in this comic of love really hurting someone. Like he loves these people so much. And I mean, I guess the problem is probably more the drugs than him. But because of the drugs that he uses to try and deal with his pain, he's always being haunted by the loves of his past. And I think that's very relatable for a lot of people. Same. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't use drugs for it, but, like, the loves of my past, like, haunt me like nobody says. Like, I feel like it's an unexpected moment, and all of a sudden, the love of your past just comes back in some form to With haunt testicular you. testicular cancer. <laughs> I'm often in a romantic situation, and I think, what if this person gets testicular cancer? Same. <laughs> but that person is probably you most of the time. Yeah, no, I. it's one of my biggest fears. So does anyone have any other death points they'd like to hit? That's not testicular cancer. If not, you can talk about testicular cancer more, but I want to go to I art. wish I remembered my point about the heist that I was going for before. Oh, Mr. Heist? Yeah. I wish I... I we can do art, and then if you think of it, we can yeah, throw sure. it out. So, art. I personally love the art. I think it's beautiful. I think that Fiona Staples has a great style that really rides the line between realistic and artistic in a way that I've always enjoyed. 
One of the things I know about Fiona Staples, while I'm a huge fan of her work, is it's predominantly digital. I, I believe go, it's all digital. Yeah, it's all digital. At my local comic shop, I have a few artists who work traditionally, just do their art by pencil. And uh, one of the real reasons that they avoid Saga and that they find it jarring to read is that they can't deal with the digital aspects of her work, is that it's just completely different from what they're used to. And um, yeah, I thought it was interesting that you made that point because when we were talking about the book a bit before uh, the podcast, you know, we talked about how the first arc specifically, which is something you guys can all speak to, has like a very kind of sketchy style to it. And, you know, I think like I'm surprised to I mean, I'm not an, a, a physical artist, so maybe that's why. But I'm surprised to hear that they can immediately see that distinction because especially the first one does have a very um, sketchy, yeah, real feel. The to lines it. don't feel overly worked i'll say that yeah and i think that we talked about this a bit again beforehand that the style has definitely evolved it seems a bit cleaner now now that we're in issue 34 yeah i think uh now that i know that me and pete were in the same panel two years ago when Brian <laughs> and talked about Saga, you're connected now yeah uh i think he said something along the lines of like he just he writes everything and has no expectations of what everything looks like and that Fiona Staples is the real creator visually. Right. Is that everything is really in her vision and her standards. And I think that Saga is one of those comics that truly stands out artistically because it's not defined by Brian K. Vaughan's script. It's that this is all, while Brian K. Vaughan is moving forward, the narrative and the story is that Fiona Staples is creating everything art-wise. She's creating the world. She's creating the aliens, the world around us. Everything we see is a product of Fiona Staples' is mind. And or at I, least the execution the of. The execution yeah. of. And I think that's, art-wise, that's a true example of collaboration in comics. And that's something that I think every comic should strive for. I totally agree. I think um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that Brian revealed in that panel was that um, that the decision for their home, the you know, the uh, the tree ship, was a decision that Fiona had made. She asked if she could make it a tree because she hated drawing machinery and she likes drawing more natural things. So that was like a story beat that, or like, you know, a very like iconic figure in the book mm -hmm. that totally came from her, her mind. I think it's a, it's definitely true collaboration art wise and story wise. And it's something that we never really see in comics truly in our world of uh, where the focus is predominantly on superheroes. We don't get to see a true work between artists and writer and seeing how one aspect of the storytelling benefits from the other and furthers the story in the long run. Yeah, at least not frequently enough. Yeah. Phil, Brad, thoughts? What do you think about the art? I honestly, in the, in the first six issues, I couldn't tell the difference whether it was digital or, or hand-done. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty good. I will say that I wasn't a huge fan of the panel transitions just the way that it flowed, I think it kind of threw me off a little bit, but maybe that was just because I was kind of hurrying through it a little bit. That's really all I have. I mean, I haven't seen enough, I don't think, to give uh, an honest and true full opinion of the entire series. Okay. Bill? Well, firstly, uh, the nipples were, the boobs were great. Very well drawn. Very well drawn. That's true. Or digitized. We should let Which, Bob know. As we know, Bob thinks that is a deal breaker when it comes to any kind of uh, artwork and books. Boobs in but, general were a deal breaker or...? It wasn't Sunstone for him, at least. I see. But in general, when you're building such a creative fantasy and science fiction-based world, it's important to have art to reflect that. And all the aliens, uh, races, the worlds, everything is the, the world building 
is not just done well by Brian K. Vaughn, but Fiona Staples' illustration of everything kind of, I mean, the book isn't what it is without the art, I think. And as far as panel layout goes, I, I disagree because I think it's creative and it, it doesn't just, you know, it doesn't bog itself down with a classic grid style. I think it gets very creative in a way that it actually tells each story throughout each issue. And so I think she does an incredible job. Yeah, I would agree with that point about the panel work. I, what I like about it, I think, and I think to Matt's point, you can see how much control Fiona has over how the direction of the story is played out. That um, a lot, more than a lot of other comics, there's a lot of non-full page moments that get rather large panels that give them a little bit more room to breathe. So you can get what almost has the feeling of like a splash page that only takes up maybe 75% of a page. So we can get a little bit more movement. Right. And I did love the way that uh, the narrative was sort of sort of portrayed with, within the panels and Fiona's narrative of it. How long uh, is each issue released? Between? Yeah, Hazel. Hazel's Hazel, narrative. Hazel's narrative, yeah. Yeah, that's something that's very unique to, to uh, comic books in general. Most of the time, comic book stories don't have a narrator. Which Pete, is... do you know how long each issue uh, takes to be released? Well, it's on a monthly hmm. schedule normally, but it takes scheduled breaks. So they take, I think, six month breaks. It's four to six months. Okay. Every time. Because you, yeah. can, you can see the patience with the art is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, yeah. She has a good amount of time to work on the issues, which is, I think, definitely a benefit to the book that it's released on a monthly schedule, but it doesn't seem as though it's created on a monthly schedule. I think yeah. uh, one of the issues I stated originally that I think that the previous, the last six issues of the comic has been, uh, to me, the weakest story-wise. And I don't know if that uh, Fiona Staples was the artist for th- uh, the Archie launch relaunch for the first three issues and i don't know if that's because she had to put a lot of time into that story herself yeah she was dividing her time among other projects for the first time in her career on saga and i don't know if that has to do a long run if uh it has a lot to do with brian cabon's storytelling or her dividing her time between those two stories but it really bugged me but i also know in the long run that i will never be able to see dragons again the same way thanks to fiona staples <laughs> i don't know if i'll ever be able to think about giants the same way again either there's a lot of lot of things that are very very horrifying that she can draw I'll never look at heads on legs the same way. Oh, that's, I can. That's definitely one of <laughs> oh, the. Oh, I can, Brad. That's definitely one of the more memorable uh, visual things for me too. I think on Sextillion was just those those women's faces just really creep me out. Yeah. Oh, they didn't oh, creep. It makes you think about no, Brian yeah, Bond's imagination as a kid. Well, it's I, all her, isn't I it? I know it's a mix of. Well, no, 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 it's a mix of a lot of the ideas are things that he uh, came up with as a child, like the idea of the the wings and the horns, sextillion, and the will. A lot of the characters, sextillion. <laughs> I would imagine that was, was a young imagination. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that was the first thought. Maybe a preteen Brian Cave on. If I was but, eleven, I'd think of that. Yeah, I don't know if I would. I remember. I, mean, I would have. Brad, what, what were you doing in the left? I heard it. Oh, shut up, Matt. I Heads know, on you, legs. I know you had it in your mind. Heads on legs. I was going to say, as thought. a young child, I hoarded all of the Victoria's <laughs> Secret advertisements. How Heads original. on legs. That sounds like like I was trying to draw a person and accidentally forgot the body. Is all <laughs> is all that would be? You were into like icons. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But not icons as in like Giselle Bundchen. You were into like iconic images. Exactly. That's very like. strong and bold of you. You know. <laughs> Phil, you're in a Erotic. scary dark shadow that terrifies. Hey man. <laughs> Phil, have you Phil ever? Phil, have you ever considered that you might be the knight? I definitely am the knight. I'm also vengeance. What's I, your I name? Am Batman. <laughs> I'm I'm Batman. Any more art <laughs> art points that we'd like to make? I think personally, I'm. An, I never gave a thought. One on the word art. description. I'm gonna give one sentence on the art. I'm gonna start, 
And I'm going to say that I think that Fiona Staples' combination of realism with a bit of artistic license is appropriate for the book because the book is so realistic that it begs art that has a lot of realism in it. Jamie, that wasn't one word. (laughs) I said one. Fun. I meant (laughs) sentence. Describe it in one word, art. Uh, (laughs) It is. Describe the word, the art in one word, uh, erotic. That's fair. Why am I shocked? No, but yeah, I agree with you. I think my that's my favorite thing about Saga overall is the mix of realism and fantasy. It's that it simultaneously feels it it treats its somewhat like childish inspiration for a lot of things as as the logical serious conclusion of it. And I think like that's totally represented in the art and um yeah, I think like to Matt's point it's the perfect example of collaboration in the medium for sure. I loved the depiction of emotion for every character during scenes that that really needed to be emotional. Even even uh, characters that that aren't supposed to show emotion like the uh like the television heads. I think that it's just so creative how she she expresses how they feel through her art. Yeah, that's a great point. Philip Saga art good. Fiona Staples talented. Thank you, Philip. That is more than one word. <laughs> Shit. Um so for the very thank you, Philip. For the very final moment i'm gonna ask everyone to say if they recommend or don't recommend this comic and give me one sentence about why hi my name is matthew murphy and i I, uh, recommend this comic i think it is a ongoing story that is really about love and war as much as it wants to be about fucking i think it's a really really good look at families in world in the world it's a good reflection of our current society I do recommend, if you're not a big comics fan, to trade weight. I think month by month, while it can be fast, certain arcs, certain arcs can be very slow. If you want to pick it up in trade, there is currently, they go hardcover every three arcs. Each three arcs is a chapter of the ongoing narrative. And yeah, I pick it up month by month. That's because I've been reading it since the very beginning. Yeah. So I'm Pete. And Bessie, for what it's worth. And uh, I would also, yeah, you are. I would highly recommend Saga. Uh, it's one of my favorite reads every month. I miss it during its breaks. I think I would definitely agree with Matt. It's best read in trades because some of the month to month can definitely be, um, not that the pacing is slow, but there, there are slow arcs. And if that's something that bothers you, you're best to read it in bulk. Um, as opposed to singles. I think to the point we made earlier, I definitely think it's one of the like it's one of the most mature uh, books on the market in terms of not necessarily its its themes overall, but how it handles its themes. And uh, I think it has some of the best art that is. Oh, Phil, you're killing me, Phil. <laughs> if you guys could see what I'm enduring, this he's, guy's he's 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 so sexually attractive. It's literally Jesus. It's literally it's not as bad. Put as away the... your pasty chicken legs, buddy. Oh, I'm trying has, to. If I'm, you wanted me to paint you a word picture, he has hairy, masculine legs. I'm trying to sell the kids on Saga. Buy it. It's beautiful. Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to say that while I am new to the series, I think that if you are looking for a great character piece, I think Saga's a great choice. I don't want to echo a lot of the stuff being said, but uh, definitely worth a purchase, and I'm going to continue to read it and try and catch up as soon as I can. You better. Oh, I will. Phil? Philip? Hi, I'm Phil. Casey. And like Saga, we are equally electrifying and titillating. If you enjoy good literature that is heavy on the themes and great on the characters, I would suggest reading Saga because, like me, it is the best. Phil, I think I was inappropriately chosen to host the podcast. 
I think you're the perfect radio voice. What can I say? I have a voice that matches the face. Which is, <laughs> I'm trying to say amazing and more than adequate. Oh, thank you, Phil. And I think I have to say, kind of echoing what everyone else said, <laughs> that I love this. But, uh, this podcast as well as Saga. And I think that actually I would suggest, if you really love it, picking it up issue by issue because even if it does move slowly occasionally there's always a good crotch shot to keep you interested as phil has taught me oh my god this guy phil close your legs phil i wish i could put my fist through the computer and smack your nuts (laughs) i thought you were gonna say fisting and i was like saga's been there classic phil so saga will go there this has been another episode of the Comics First Podcast. I am Ms. Jamie Rice with Matt Murphy, Pete and Bessie, Brad Sloan, and Philip Casey. And we've been talking about Saga. Thank Woo. you very much. Make sure to check out our website as well as the videos, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and every other valid social media site. Wherever home videos are sold. Does What's, a, what's an invalid one? An invalid one would be... Vine. MySpace. Vine and Pinterest and MySpace. Zanga. Zanga's so out. No, we're, we're I don't alive. even know why you fucking mentioned that. We're live on Zanga. Uh, we have a profile on Club Penguin. You can follow <laughs> us there. Does anyone have a, a I got witty, thrown off for inappropriate pun? content. Does anyone have a witty pun for us to end on? I don't. Um, I've been looking at Phil's Cross too much to comment Sog you later. Oh, God. <laughs> no. Please Welcome stop. to Comics First, Brad. Wait, say, that, say that again, but like say it without anyone talking over you. Sog you later. Team brilliant. Is it? Mic drop. Anything better? I think you do. Please do something better. I'm never invited back. Um, I don't know. I'm, wait, 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 wait. I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna be honest with you. I've, I lost a piece of myself after this podcast. <laughs> we're we not talking <laughs> That's about. The way we should end it. I've lost a piece of myself. Saga. Were we not talking about Sonic this whole time? <laughs> so, Live from the body of a wing, we have been birthed. We are Comics Verse, and this is our podcast. Have a good night. Great saga. Gotta go fast. <laughs> <laughs>